This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here, by golly, in Coach Hogg's locker room inside the manly Warthog Man Cave. Uh, in the Melton Law Studio, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Get yourself a doorbell camera. By golly, we're getting a little storm here. It's passed through. I think we'll be fine. Uh, if we lose the internet, well, we'll have to reboot and you'll miss us for a few minutes. But I don't think we'll do that. I think the storm has passed through, by golly. And we got a lot of rain. I'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour on the Ward Scott Files in Coach Hogg's locker room. Well, biggest thing going on right now, I suppose, is everybody figuring out who's going where in NCAA, uh, women and men. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the women basketball go to NIT. I, yeah, I hate to slam the NIT, but it's, um, it is not much there. I mean, it's just a nice vacation for the kids go to New York and all that, but, um, it doesn't play into much and doesn't help all that much in recruiting. The NCAA is where the big dance is. And, um, the biggest story about that really probably to talk about with you is, of course, South Carolina on the ladies side is a shoe in. Uh, they'll meet some opposition probably at the end, maybe Iowa, Connecticut, uh, but they really are um, the premier ladies basketball team right now in the nation, and maybe ever. That can coach, uh, coach someone at Tennessee. But um, uh, Alabama really has uh, done something that hasn't been done since we had Billy Donovan, as one of the announcers used to call him, uh, instead of Billy Donovan, he always called him Billy Donovan, uh, since we had Billy Donovan here when we had national championship teams in the form of uh, Urban Meyer and, of course, uh, Billy Donovan. Um, now it seems it's Alabama's turn to do that. Alabama is at the top of the pecking order in both uh, football, of course, with Nick Saban right at the top. And, of course, and now it's in basketball. But probably the story to follow on Alabama is that um, – they are the number one team, of course, but they are arriving in the NCAA tournament with a big controversy, maybe an unprecedented controversy over a shooting death of, that some of the team members were connected to. Um, the uh, overall seed for this year's uh, March Madness is, of course, NCAA uh, team Alabama. But several players on the team have been connected to a January 15th alleged murder of Jamia Jonea Harris, who was a 23-year-old mother who was shot in Tuscaloosa's something called Nightlife Order. Now, um, uh, this is an article covering this in the Wall Street Journal, and it's worth repeating for you. Uh, Darius Miles was dismissed from the squad, and he's been indicted on charges of capital murder. He hasn't appeared in court or entered a plea, however. And star freshman Brandon Miller 
Now, he's projected to be an NBA uh, top draft pick in June. That's how good Alabama is. Uh, we don't have one of those on the um, uh, University of Florida team. We've got one I think will wind up, a shooting guard will wind up eventually in the NBA, but uh, probably not next year. Um, but anyway, uh, Brandon Miller allegedly brought the murder weapon to the scene. Now, here's the details on that. He's got a liar who says the kid didn't touch the gun, and he wasn't involved in whatever went down. But um, he also claims uh, he didn't know, and probably he didn't know, to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, he didn't know of that uh, um, this was going to be uh, a bad ending. And uh, uh, you can see today uh, that uh, uh, he is arm's length from this thing, literally and figuratively. He hasn't been charged with any crime. He's claiming he hasn't touched the gun and um, that to whom he let use the gun, which is a real no-no. You just never do that. Um, you just you don't get involved in that. But here he did. Loaning a gun to somebody is a dangerous deal because you then, by extension, are implicated in whatever might happen on that gun. So the gun gets, gets end up uh, being used in illegal activity. Meanwhile, Miller's still on the team and he hasn't been charged with any crime. So keep your eye on that as we go through um of this this event here uh, with the um, um, March Madness. I'm trying to look at this on all online too, not being very successful. Um, so with March Madness um, and its fitting title, you get involved with a lot of activity, not all of which is um, necessarily something you want to be involved with. This is a, a lot of gambling going on to it. And, uh, you know, that's a whole part of it. Um, the, 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 the gambling and sports is all over the place, as you know. Now, the Jayhawks are going to be the first team coming in here um, that has won consecutive NCAA championships since Billy Donovan did it with Florida in 2006 and 2007. Um, they're the only top tournament seed that wasn't ranked number one at some point during the season. Um during the season, there were four teams that claimed to be a number one. And uh, uh, they were uh, North Carolina, Houston, Purdue, and Alabama. And the Boilermakers had it for the longest stretch up until February they slipped. They lost four uh, games but still managed to win the Big Ten regular season title. Um, so uh, North Carolina – had an even more dramatic slide. Uh, they started the season ranked number one and failed to receive a bid on Sunday with a 2013 record. Um, so it's, uh, it is what it is. It's going to be uh, an interesting, of course, intense uh, month for this. Um, but Florida won't be there for the big dance. Um, the other thing about Alabama, uh, which has, according to the analysis here, one of the most efficient defenses in the country. Uh, they have a, the six foot nine forward uh, Miller, and uh, he uh, pantomimed a TSA style pat down with a teammate at a pregame introduction, um, spoofing at the criminality 
of the Alabama team. Imagine that. And uh, he's really gotten a lot of criticism from that. But when you're, let me tell you something about sports. When you're at the top of the of the depth chart, uh, you really have to really struggle to get kicked off of anything. This applies for any sport, except uh, one of the stories I'm going to come up with now. You would think um, being at the top of the depth chart in the world of men's tennis would um, get you something, wouldn't you? I mean, uh, come on. Novak Djokovic, top of the depth chart, all right? Number one in the world. Can't come into the United States because he's a Novaxer. Now, he'll figure. He's all over the rest of the world. He got to go to Australia Open this year, which he won. But he can't come. He couldn't come. He didn't come to Indian Wells, which is the big tournament going on right now in California. And uh, the next big tournament on the swing is in Miami. And, I mean, it's huge. Uh, you know, you're the you're, you're playing on the big stages when you play at Indian Wells in Miami. And um, here we go. Novak Djokovic can't come into the United States because he hasn't been vaccinated for COVID. Now, meanwhile, most of the country believes, do they not, that COVID's over. So how are we going to get Novak Djokovic into Miami? He did not get into California. And that tournament is going on right now. And I'm going to tell you something. This is a big deal when the number one guy in the world can't play in the tournament. I mean, he loses points. A lot of stuff goes on. Uh, the players don't get the thrill of being able to compete against him. Uh, this is all for political reasons. Really, fundamentally, it's not for health reasons. He's healthy. The, the, everybody else is, you know, said, okay, we're past this. But there's a story behind it. It's pretty interesting. Um, the... Story got to DeSantis's attention. And I joked, I think, last week that what this, uh, Djokovic should do is just come in through an open border, huh? And show up at the tournament. Of course, the moment he showed up at the tournament, why the U.S. would snag him, I guess, because he's not been vaccinated. So Governor DeSantis, in a public statement, has said, if you want to compete in the Miami Open Tennis Tournament, Later this month, I will run a boat from the Bahamas from here to go get him and bring him. Uh, he said, I will do that 100%. He said this in a press conference in Tampa Wednesday. And he thinks Djokovic's people are taking this seriously because DeSantis is serious about it. If you can't get into this country because of something like this vaccination, I'll get you into Florida. That's where the next tournament is. And on Tuesday, DeSantis had called Uncle Joe and said to him, look, come to your senses. You know, this is not, this is, this is misguided. It's unscientific even. So um, there you go. He's asked Biden to lift his restrictions and let him compete. As of the time of this um, story right now, he's not been, um, allowed to get in, as far as we know. So um, Biden um, kicked it over to the CDC through his 
ever present, say anything you want me to say, press secretary, who said, all questions are recording of regarding the vaccination requirement, I'll refer you to the CDC. Come on. Come on. I mean, isn't that some gobbledygook? She said that the as, as, as Uncle Joe's, Uncle Joe says it's crazy as he get, once he gets a letter from DeSantis, but his press secretary says and the vaccine requirement, quote, is still in place, and we expect everyone to abide by our country's rule, whether as a participant or a spectator. Unbelievable. It just is it, it's sign of times what you've got going on in the bureaucratic state, which we've been covering for quite some time. Uh, on Friday, uh, the organizers um, of this event um, um, and the U.S. Tennis Association official statement was that they were hopeful that Djokovic would be able to get in. He's one of the greatest tennis players of all time, and he's a six-time champion at the Miami Open. So uh, uh, they don't get to see him at Indian Wells. Uh, right now, he can't come to the U.S. Open. And uh, he's a 22-time Grand Slam winner. So there's a lot of interesting things. You know, this is uh, unfortunate. That's uh, bureaucratic as it is. Um, you know, pick the can down the road, talk to the CDC. Meanwhile, the Pentagon has said in a recent letter to lawmakers, that it could kick out as many as 16,000 unvaccinated troops, uh, because even in spite of its coronavirus vaccine mandate, no longer being in effect. And um, that, that they are, according to a letter uh, they wrote to the Undersecretary of Defense, uh, that would apply to about 16,000 unvaccinated troops, that they would be subject to separation according to the Pentagon. So it's uh, become even more divisive uh, than maybe ever had ever been. And it's been divisive all along. So we'll see how this goes. Um, The uh, um, questions haven't been answered uh, by the Department of Defense. Everybody, once again, is dodging the question. And Uncle Joe, he likes to do things by executive order. He doesn't seem to want to touch this one. It is your know, madness, I guess. Um, so you've got um, the NIT, which is a whole home. And, um, you know, we will not be participating in the big dance. And that's at NCAA as a ladies basketball or as a men's basketball. So um, uh, we kind of got the jury out on where Florida sports are right now. Everybody's waiting to see what happens with the NIL and all that business transfer portal for the Florida football. Well, we'll wait and see what happens on the COVID with uh, the tennis world and how that works out. Locally, uh, we've got an update on voter fraud, beep, which is pretty interesting. We kind of can use the word more liberally now since uh, we've already been banned for life from YouTube for using it. But we're over on Rumble, so uh, be sure to follow us on Rumble. Um, uh, for the 2020 voter beep hearings, There are 11 hearings in six counties (laughs) before the end of this month. There are going to be four in Alachua County, one in Broward, two in Hillsborough, one in Orange, and two in Palm Beach, and one in Seminole. Um, That's largely due to the efforts of our investigator instigator on the Ward Scott files. Particularly, 
There's one that we're very interested in watching, of course, and um, it's going to be um, um, very, very. It's going to reveal a lot here locally. There has been now a um, the circuit court of the um, Eighth Judicial Circuit. Uh, the state of Florida is going to be the plaintiff, and the defendant defendant is going to be one Christopher Timothy Wiggins. Christopher Timothy Wiggins was signed up to vote in the Alachua County Jail and voted. Now, the witnesses for the state are going to be, include, among others, actual Kim Martin and actual T.J. Pichet. This guy, Timothy, Christopher Timothy Wiggins, is a career criminal. I guess he's no dummy because he's in the big house right now. And he realized, I suppose, I'm just projecting into his mind, that if he challenged this and claimed they told him to do it and they're the guilty ones, not him, he gets transferred from the big house down to the county jail and gets to hang out here, which presumably is better than the big house. So when you take a look at the background, just on this one guy who's going to call into court and challenge the, the, the credibility, the honesty, the intentions, the motivations, the actions of the supervisor of elections, Kim Barton and T.J. Pichet, who actually went into the jail and signed him up. And then you take a look at what Christopher Timothy Wiggins did. And this is just among many things that he's done. But let me just hearken you back to July 2019. In July of 2019, in February, there was a robbery of Bojangles. Bojangles, now remember the law says you got to pay back what you took and then you can vote. As I read through this, tell me how in the world this career criminal could ever pay back what he took. Uh, February 13th at Bojangles on Archer Road. Two men robbed employees at gunpoint. And one of the employees was part of the plot. Christopher Wiggins, who was 52 years old in 2019. Kenneth Brown, 41. And Arkenda Branton, 37. Now, Brown, right, has a long criminal history. He's on federal probation. This was in 2019, this article is written. Brown held an AK-47 during the robbery. Brown and Wiggins forced their way into the fast food restaurant at 11.04 p.m. They demanded cash from the employees, got it, 
and then ran from the area. The cops searched it but couldn't find anybody. Branton, the restaurant manager, was initially listed as a victim in the robbery. But a tipster told the cops that she was actually in on the heist. And that this three operating together may have been involved in other crimes. So both Brown and Wiggins were charged with conspiracy, armed robbery, being felons in possessions of a weapon, and three counts of kidnapping. Branton got charged with conspiracy, armed robbery, and three counts of kidnapping. Now, here's how it went down. Branton and three store employees were closing the store, and as they tried to leave for the night, Brown and Wiggins came in, ordering all but one employee into a corner, while Brown grabbed one victim and forced him to open the restaurant's safe. So Branton acted as a victim. And that's the story. Now tell me, logically, isn't it going to be interesting when this character gets up on the stand, Wiggins, with the record he's got, the violent pattern of behavior in that particular instance, and really kind of the ingenuity and boldness involved, and says, DJ Pichet told me it was okay to not only sign up, but vote. Does any of this make sense to you? When the popular public narrative has been low these many years, there's no such thing as voter beat. I think when the story's all over again, if it ever gets out, you're going to see that the popular acceptable narrative really maybe not all that squeaky clean. And speaking of squeaky clean, this next story. Let's harken back to when DeSantis became governor for the first time. And he ran against one candidate by the name of Mr. Gillum. Right? You remember that? Andrew Demetric Gillum, who was a really good buddy of the permanently disbarred Christopher Chestnut, who regarded, Mr. Gillum regarded as Cynthia Chestnut as his mama. Nice cast of characters. The Words Got Files knew when Gillum was running that he was rather unsavory. We've been getting tips like this out of our connections in Tallahassee. And it finally came out, you know, how unsavory he was. 
But meanwhile, Sadie Darnell, the sheriff at that time, actually endorsed Gillum, if my memory served me right. People have scratched their heads. Why? And DeSantis squeak, wins by a squeaker. And then after a while, it comes out really how, how dirty Mr. Gillum is. And that this uh, surveillance of him all along has been true. And he was taking money under the table, accepting gifts and all this stuff. Well, he's now asked uh, uh, that the government, who has this case against him, unseal um, some of the matters in the government's case. And one of the things in reading through this, it's kind of funny, sort of strange. I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, On June 7th, 2022, of course, a federal grand jury returned an indictment against him, uh, alleging that he lied to the FBI agents about receiving things from undercover FBI agents and uh, all that business. And so he wanted the his lawyers wanted the argument by the government to be unsealed because of the backgrounds of a couple of the FBI agents. And what's funny about this is that uh, the backgrounds of the FBI agents had been sealed. But in refuting uh, Gillum's lawyer's request to have it unsealed, they revealed what was sealed. And I want to tell you what was sealed. One thing that the FBI didn't want anybody to know about was that one of their agents who was in on this sting with uh, on Gillum had been arrested for underage drinking in 2005. <laughs> uh, and unremarkable, that's the word, he actually associated mischief. Unremarkable Associated mischief. Um, another thing that the government wanted to conceal about uh, another FBI agent was that this agent displayed his FBI credentials at the scene of his daughter's car accident, which the Department of Justice does not authorize the FBI agent to do. The FBI agent should not be revealing his credentials apparently at his daughter's car accident. Um, the other two matters are concerned um, the FBI's conduct in getting the goods on Gillum. And of course, they're not going to unseal that. Uh, they're not going to, uh, that's not relevant to, to anything. But they, in, in refuting this, this request, to unseal, uh, they actually unsealed. Uh, and their argument was neither the underage drinking past discretion of one of the agents nor the display of the um, ID at another agent's daughter's wreck was relevant to anything to do with their credibility in trapping Gillum. 
but the defendants are trying to argue that it compromised <laughs> compromised the case, and uh, therefore, you know, that's how liars work. Let's see if we can't get the thing uh, slung out. <laughs> but it ain't going to work. Well, well, well. We got rain still coming down here in the uh, Piney Woods of North Central Florida. We'll take a break here at the bottom of the hour for the weather and be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, the warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward's Weather Report here in the command center and raining like crazy outside here at the studio. In the uh, piney woods of North Central Florida, we'll hopefully get through this without any inter- any internet ob- uh, interruption. Um, but uh, we're thank you for Lewis all for providing us this opportunity. But our days of heavy rainfall are nothing compared to the next storm that's going to slam into California, according to all the weather um, um, places I'm reading about right now. It's going to be a flash flood emergencies again, uh, atmospheric river they call it is gearing up to rain again. Uh, the whole state practically is under flood watch. It's uh, got 34 counties 
under a state of emergency. They're back-to-back low-pressure areas that are spinning and bringing in moisture. Um, had one storm, as you know, that pounded California Thursday and Friday, and then higher elevation snow, uh, tornadoes briefly, and all that business. Uh, the, the rivers are busting through levees. Um, so it's going to be bursts of in- energy, as they say. It will produce rounds of heavy rains and into, even into the Sierra Nevada. The heaviest snow is expected to impact areas above 6,500 feet. And uh, uh, snowfall above that elevation can be several feet, resulting in road closures and therefore enhancing the risk of avalanches. So uh, this is going to be interesting subtropical moisture coming up, colliding, will renew the flooding, the avalanche dangers, the travel disruptions, and the central valleys of, of California, but possibly really strong gusts of wind, 45 miles an hour, uh, up around San Francisco. I've crossed that Golden Gate Bridge under normal conditions, and the wind will just buffet you around on that thing. I can't imagine being on it with gusts of wind at 45 miles an hour, heaven forbid. So uh, we're getting a little bit of that here, uh, not as severe, up towards Atlanta area later on, according to what I'm looking at. There is going to be some freezing weather. We don't want freezes here because we're growing grass. Uh, we're growing olives. We're growing oranges. We're growing everything we got on the trees around here. And a little frost come along and mess that up. So we're hoping we don't get that for sure. That would be, um, that'd be what? Climate change, huh? Climate change. Got a story that's come my way that I don't know the truth of. So I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. Part of it I know the truth of, part of it I don't know the truth of. I was tipped off that this had happened. Um, I tried to check it out with my connections, and they can only talk with knowledge about it up to a point. But let's hearken down to Guantanamo in Cuba for a moment. You know, Obama hated Guantanamo. And he wanted to close it. I believe we need to keep Guantanamo, though, there for no other reason than to remind uh, Cuba, Cuba, that we're there. You know, this is how the Civil War started, the war against Yankee aggression. Fort Sumter, a federal court, court was in South Carolina. So Lincoln couldn't get anybody to agree with him that the Confederate states were wrong in forming their own country. Roughly analogous right now to what's going on with Ukraine and Russia. So uh, the um, need to start a war in order to inflame passions was a puzzling one, how to get it going by Lincoln. And so he decided to resupply Fort Sumter. Now, we do the same thing with Guantanamo. If we ever supply Guantanamo and Cuba was to fire on us, then we would have a reason to fire on on Cuba. So Cuba and Castro 
and all that bunch never dared do it. The South, until it's called the shot heard round the world, critical mistake. They should have just let Lincoln resupply Fort Sumter. And then let Lee, don't, don't, don't get involved. Now, Johnson tried the same thing with the Gulf of Tonkin. In order to create public sentiment to support him wanting to bomb the North, Vietnam, he cooked up this deal where we strayed unknowingly, quote, unquote, into Vietnamese waters, hoping we'd be fired on by Vietnamese North, and then he could just saturate bomb with impunity, North Korea, North Vietnam. So it's a tactic. It's kind of, you know, you were playing, we're playing space chess here in war strategy. So we've kept Guantanamo. Obama hates it. Biden doesn't like it. You know, it's a sign that America is just a nasty country. Well, that's not the way everybody sees it. But there's a 42-year-old Pakistanian man who spent nearly half his life in U.S. custody. Now, the story goes that he was in a CIA prison where he was, quote-unquote, tortured. You see, that's so unmilitary-like, un-American-like. And you have to realize that this is right after 9-11. Well, he's been in the U.S. military prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I say Cuba because that's the way John F. Kennedy said it. But now he's been released. Why? He threatened to sue the Biden administration are you ready for this? Or unlawful imprisonment. Now, here comes a story that I haven't been able to substantiate, but I don't doubt it. The United States government not only released him, but resettled him in Belize. And the story I got from a pretty good source. Furthermore, bought him a million and a half dollar house on the beach. I'm just saying that right now, that part I haven't been able to substantiate. The other part is actually in an AP article here that he is in Belize, that he threatened to sue Biden's administration for unlawful imprisonment. Okay? He was a high-volume detainee, and he is the first Guantanamo inmate that the Biden administration has transferred to a country other than his nation of origin. This guy's lawyers argued he could not safely return to Pakistan because he had cooperated with U.S. authorities.
But in his argument, the reason he cooperated, he claims, is that he was subjected to all the inhumane types of interrogation techniques that really cast aspersions, do they not, on the United States, even though this guy was in somehow, some way connected, and this article doesn't say it, to all that which came upon this country in 9-11. Furthermore, this guy has no connection to Belize. He is a free man there, Biden administration has emphasized. He is attorney is from the Center for Constitutional Rights. And um, he claims that the United States waterboarded him, hung him from his wrist while he was naked and hooded, subjected to forced rectal feedings, and that the United States violated the universal right to be free of torture. And one of the liars for him did not fail to take a swipe at the presence of Guantanamo as a United States possession as they let this character go. So the part that is true, obviously, is that he's been released. The part that is true is that he's in Belize. And the rest of it, you can draw your own conclusions from. And I have been unable to substantiate that we bought him a million and a half dollar place on the beach. Um, I want to talk a little bit here about uh, the bank. Everybody's upset about the bank. Closing. This is the best I can find about what happened. Now, everybody's presumably out there listening has money in a bank. Some of you actually run banks or work at banks. So the plainest explanation I've been able to find is by Matt Turner in a publication called The Insider. And you know this California bank in Silicon Valley was closed by regulators on Friday and was put under control of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So what happened? Well, it appears that in this bank, deposits were pretty healthy. The venture capitalists raised huge funds and invested that money in startup banks. And so millions, billions in deposits flowed into this bank. It was driven by the boom in venture capital funding, which was going on in the epicenter of this in Silicon Valley. 
So between 2020 and 2021, uh, the bank was flush with cash. So the bank had to figure out what to do with that. And normally banks turn deposits into loans. But because of the tech boom, they decided to put the money in securities. And then they had to decide whether they were going to hold those securities for long term or have them available to sell at any moment as an available for sale asset. Now, these are called HTMs. And HTM assets don't have to be marked to market, uh, which is to say that the value of these assets don't move up and down with interest rates or the overall market. Available for sale assets, they're much more volatile and their value on the balance sheet goes up and down with the market. So the bank invested the bulk of their deposits and securities. And uh, on a cost basis, they uh, grew their AFS book 13.9 billion up to 27.3 billion. And the HTM book grew by 13.8 billion to 98 billion. So the bulk of their HTM assets were in things like treasuries and mortgage bonds. As rates went up, the value of those assets plunged. But as long as the assets were held to the maturity, the paper losses didn't really matter. Over time, the thinking was they would mature and everything would work out okay. But when the tech boom faded, this is the rub, the startup customers started to ask for their deposits back. And eventually, the bank reached a point where it had to sell some of its securities it had invested in to have enough cash to return money to depositors. It couldn't sell the HTMs because if they sold them at that point, they would sell them at loss, and those losses would wipe out the bank's capital entirely. So instead, it sold $21 billion in bonds. And it took a $1.8 billion loss. And then it tried to raise monies from the investors to offset the loss. But the investors did not bite. So the bank was borrowing short with your deposits, which you can remove at any moment, and lending long. Think of those as 30-year mortgages. But you've got to have enough cash on hand to meet your short-term commitment should the depositors suddenly want their money. And that's what happened. They could not hold their long-term maturity securities long enough to have enough money to give the money back to the depositors. And you think we know Banks know what they're doing. Eh. Rocky Marciano, I had a good friend who was a good friend of Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano 
never put any of his money in a bank. He put it in coffee cans and buried the coffee cans and often couldn't remember where he buried them. And when Rocky Marciano died, my friend says to this day, they don't know if they found all the coffee cans. But Rocky Marciano, heavyweight champion of the world, did not trust banks. Now, a lot of this venture capitalism that got this bank in trouble, what they're venturing their investments in are businesses that, in effect, have kickbacks, like title today's show, Kickback Capitalism. You also know this as, as the investments in the environment and all that kind of business. But what is a kickback? Well, the article that analyzes this uh, by uh, one of the thinkers for the uh, uh, a journal, Andy Kessler, Let's start with a student loan. We're giving tens of millions of voters who took on a debt to overpay for college, overpay for college. Because you see, once you made the money available for college, well, the colleges went up on what they charged. So the universities constantly raised their prices and hired more administrators, particularly diversity, equity, and inclusion administrators. In 2021, my friends, the average American university, America, where the coaches like to say it, he might be the best running back in America. In 2021, the average American university had 45. The average university, a singular, had 45 diversity, equity, and inclusion officers. According to the Heritage Foundation report that studied this. Andy Kessler thinks this amounts to a big government kickback. The big government, i.e. Biden and his cronies, throw our tax money at favorite constituents. And how do you get to be a favorite? You buy into all of the programs that in effect influence voters and result in really, according to Kessler, buying votes that are illegal. Just the Inflation Reduction Act alone 
Oh, my golly. I was over here at one of our grocery stores here yesterday where they got charging stations for these electric cars. Every one of those stations, every one, had a little car, little car, backed up and an electric wire plugged into it. And the people were sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and sitting there while their little car charged. Where do all these little cars come from? Where does all this smoke and mirror advertising come from? When they see a little car, now you see a Cadillac. And see, all these tricks, I listen to the language carefully that the models say that are driving them. They don't say anything. Just all window dressing. Well, the Inflation or Reduction Act includes $369 billion for them little electric cars. How about that? How about that? The batteries of which will be made in China and Africa and places like that. Kessler says you can't even begin to summarize all the kickbacks and the $1.9 trillion 2021 America Rescue Plan. $350 billion for state and local government and mostly public union employees. Stimulus checks, it goes on and on. Um, $122 billion K-8 public education, which cannot go to teacher salaries. So it's um, probably going to go to diversity, equity, and inclusion and other administrative costs. In California, Newsom sent out $400 tax refund debit cards to buy gasoline. You remember that Nikki Fried Fried Frazzled picture used to be on the gas pumps. She's the Secretary of Agriculture and has to vouch for those gas pumps being accurate until people complain so much that I understand they were taken down. Semiconductor companies are getting paid to play. Huh? There's also an emphasis by Biden on equity in the fabric of federal policymaking. So meritocracy is vanishing. And all that venture capital in Silicon Valley, according to the guy who runs Home Depot, was connected to kickback capitalism in the form of these 
woke values, ESG. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Is ESG profitable? Well, that's been researched. Is woke capitalism profitable? And there's a big analysis of that here. That is several pages long that I'm reading here. I'm going to cut to the conclusion. The comparison of the performance of more than 200 companies that did not get into ESG to those which did was that the ones which didn't noticeably outperformed the ones that did. And the companies, therefore, that focus on profits rather than kickback capitalism outperform the companies and eventually even the banks that loan money to the companies to those that bit on the carrot of kickback capitalism ESG. Wow, wow, wow. Let's just hope this doesn't ripple through everybody's life until it gets the average man. Well, we got on a big heavy weather pattern here. We're going to buckle down a few minutes early. We appreciate all of you watching. I want to give a shout out to Larry Nagel, Doug Whitaker, and Michael Lucas, and of course, always to Plantation Mark. But uh, the analysis by Google tells me that Larry and Doug and Michael are the three big viewers of the show last week. Thanks so much, you guys. Take care. Warthog Command Center out.